listeners are currently making the decision in a room that I'm not in about do they want to continue listening to this conversation. Because you are the CEO, CEO and founder of You Incorporated. And the product that you are offering to the world is your future time. And ergo, you should have a PL for that. Go find somebody who is already opting into the future you, somebody who chooses you just for who you are. And ask them, say to them, what is it that you choose about me? What is it you are opting into? This is Inspire Someone Today, your platform for creating ripples of inspiration. New episode, new guest, new inspirer. Today, we are joined by this very special guest all the way from the Bay Area, the Silicon Valley, uh, who calls herself the career futurist, ambition guide, and also a TED speaker. It's great to have Joanna Bloor on Inspire Someone Today. Joanna, welcome to Inspire Someone Today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Likewise. So, like all other introductions, my first question to you is, what do you do? <laughs> it was a bit of a setup question, right? Um, I things I teach people how to have a better answer to that very question because I think we've been taught to give really boring and uninteresting answers because what you are actually asking is uh, who I will be in the future rather than what I have done in the past, which when you answer the question, what do you do, talks to labels and titles and past-based information as opposed to future-based information. So basically, uh, I teach people how to offer and ask for potential. Yes, and that set out the stage for your wonderful journey of the career futurist. Yes. Uh, well, so why don't I then just unpack a little bit of what I just said? Because I know people are like, mm -hmm. wait a second, why are you not saying you are uh, whatever title at whatever company, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I think it's time we stopped asking asking that question, stopped talking about this. Because as I said, um, when you think about the context and the situation of asking somebody like the really basic question of what do you do? And it is um, when you go to conferences and events and things like that, it is one of the, the first things that people ask, you know, what we're asking when we are asking the question, what do you do is really this sub question of, do I want to continue the conversation? We're actually trying to be curious about somebody and we're trying to get to know them. Um, I just find the, the what do you do question really puts us into labels and buckets because our brain needs to be able to do that, that are a, a little bit judgmental um, and um, a bit limiting and, and also a bit uh, anchored in our past. Like you think about the concept of title and where you work, it's, it's feudal in nature. I mean, it goes way, way, way back 
um, the whole concepts of titles actually came out of the Industrial Revolution. And I'm like, gosh, we're in the 21st century now. Shouldn't we have a better answer? And so then I come back and say, well, then what should you say if somebody asked you that question? Um, how do you want to have that conversation without coming back and giving some ridiculous answer that people are like, well, hang on a second, you didn't answer the question. Um, so as I think about this idea around how do you ask the question, what do you do? And the importance of it is I sit here and I go, oh my God, there is a massive, massive opportunity for somebody to actually accelerate connection, collaboration, curiosity, et cetera. And so, um, although I didn't do it to you this morning, you know, when somebody says to me, what do you do? I actually open with, well, you're asking me that question. What you're trying to find out is a little bit about me and who I am and what I'm all about. And so can I have your permission to give you that answer as opposed to just a title or a label? And if somebody pushes back at that moment, you've already got a little context into their, they're just being polite and hold that whole thing. So as you're thinking about this idea of connection, where I really come back to is like, what are we trying to do here? We're actually trying to make it easier for somebody else to opt into a story of who you are going to be in the future. And who is that? And what it's what is it all about? And I think about that in three buckets. I say, so what is the context? So where are you? What are you doing? Um, what is it you want to accomplish? So when somebody's asking you the question, what do you do? Like, what do you want the the conversation after your answer to happen? Um, and, and what is it about them that you want them to know about you? And really start to be a tad more intentful around how do we teach each other about our future selves? Because that's the person that everybody actually wants to meet. And that's the person um, that people are going to be curious about. And that's actually your offer. That's the thing that you are putting out there as opposed to this arbitrary label of who you are and what you're all about. Now, I also know when I talk about this with people, lots of people come back to me and say, oh, but I don't ask that question. I say, like, what is your, like, why are you here? Or what are your interesting hobbies or, or something, something else? Because we've all kind of gone, Ugh, I don't really like that question because it doesn't give me a tangible answer. But I still push, push back and say, like, whenever you make that first connection to somebody, we're still trying whether we like to talk about it or not, we're still trying to categorize somebody into who are you, why are you here, and what is it you're trying to accomplish. Um, and I think we can do a much better job of, of talking about that. And it goes beyond just that initial conversation. The why do I want to opt into a perception of the future you, your potential? actually happens at every single conversation. Your first one, your hundredth one, your thousandth one. Relationships are purely this idea of, do I want to collaborate with you in the future? And some people are opting in and consistently opt in. And other people are going, yeah, maybe not, no, not so much because people do do opt out at the end of the day. And so in the world of your work, which is the area that I focus in, I sit here and I say, gosh, on both what it is you have to offer, what is that thing in the future you have to offer people, your boss, your colleagues, 
um, your customers are all opting into a story about you in the future? Um, and are they opting in? And probably more importantly, do you want them to opt in to, to the future you? And, you know, I'm going to give everybody listening an example, like go back to the last person that you met where you were like, oh my God, they were amazing. I totally want to hang out with them. Um, your reaction to them had nothing to do with title, their accomplishments, any of that sort of stuff. Your reaction to them was absolutely everything to do with the story you were telling in your head about potential with that person. And so I'm obsessed about, I'm just obsessed about that question of how do we get better about talking about potential? And it comes from, ironically, now I'm going to talk about my past, my past, which was, uh, I've spent the last 25 years, most of which here in Silicon Valley, um, working with companies on the edges of emerging technology. Like I got to be part of the both web 1.0 and web 2.0 waves really, really, really early on. And the consistent lesson I learned there is I was trying to explain to people about these new technologies and how they worked and how amazing they were and what they could do. And, um, you know, this was, I go all the way back to like 1995 talking about the internet and explaining something to someone that they've never seen before, they can't imagine, um, they don't understand is infinitely more difficult than explaining them to them as an example, how a cup works. You know, if you've got a cup, you're like, it's a cup. You can see it. You you understand it. You've seen it before because we've got those categories and labels and getting really good at helping people see the potential in something they've never seen before was something I got very comfortable doing because I just continued to do it throughout my entire career. And about seven years ago, as I was thinking, I've always been obsessed with uh, people and how to make the workplace better and the dynamics of the workplace and why people show up every day beyond the paycheck to do the work that they want to do. And why do people why do people lean in? Why do people lean out? Like all of those sorts of things. And what I realized is that in the world of work, um, and when I talk about this opt-in equation, the thing that we are offering and asking to and from each other, because it is a bi-directional equation, is our future time. And future time is like a product that nobody has ever seen before, because future time is somebody's potential and potential Somebody else's potential is purely based on the story somebody else is saying in their head, which is why I'm a, I'm a little famous when I get up on stage for saying the sentence, every decision made about you and your opportunities is made in a room that you are not in. Because um, everyone kind of goes, oh, 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 hang on a second. Because it's true. Every decision made about you and your opportunities is made in a room that you're not in. Uh, when you and I first met, we had an initial conversation and you were like, well, she seems interesting. Let's see if I want to have another conversation. And we are here today. Your listeners are now going completely insane. I'm going to stop the podcast. Or they're like, well, hang on a second. She's saying something interesting. I have all of your listening. Listeners are currently making a decision in a room that I'm not in about. Do they want to continue listening to this conversation? A shout out to them. I sincerely hope you do. I have more to talk about, including Cinderella. 
but that's that's the place and it's uh the breakdown in thinking around potential is we tell stories based on what we have seen what we understand what we know and when we see something we don't recognize when we we don't understand it there's there's a bridge that has to be crossed there and so i look at the question how do you answer the question what do you do as the very first bridge to cross when you're connecting with somebody but these bridges get crossed every single day um we continue to have these conversations and it's why it's resulted in things like the great resignation or side hustles and the the really shifting dynamic of the workplace right now i think this is a really fascinating time to be in this space and be thinking about the future of work and how we can make it better for both sides yep. that was a long answer yep. that was a long answer that was a wonderful start act as well <laughs> you are absolutely right it is fascinating times this concept itself is fascinating so lot many things that you stated there is you are not your title we don't have to kind of label ourselves to a specific title that somebody has kind of thrown upon us we are beyond that which i get it and this is very intriguing to say that who you are can be your future state of who you would want to be taking mm-hmm. that concept a little further joanna what would that make to the individual if i were to kind of talk about my future state a the person on the other side i presume is interested to know about what my future state is and that defines who i am at the same time by having this kind of a concept of defining who i am with a future state lens what does this do to the individual Oh, well, what does it do? Oh, well, this is where the magic happens because there's something like and let's talk I'm going to talk about the opt-in equation for a second because this is what we're talking about. Like, am I opting into you or are you opting into me? Are we both going, "Oh, this could be really fascinating and interesting." When that happens, when that gas moment happens, either when you're starting a project, when you're hiring somebody, when you're getting hired, um when you get a new boss all of the the times when the people dynamics are shifting in the workplace where we are each time we opt in um if both parties are like i want you for who you are um it's amazing like we've we have all been on teams i know i have uh where almost like we had a shortcut of language where we're like I trust you you trust me I need you for who you are you need me for who I am and you can you can solve almost any problem and what's magical about those teams is like I could probably go to any gosh five year period of my life professionally and say who were those people um in that scenario like who would I not only not only who did I have that relationship with then but who would i if i was building something new be like oh i need you know bob jane paul and stacy on my team because oh my god that's my dream team right is the the situation where it's amazing and when it's a, when you're in that situation when both your confidence about who you are and what it is you have to offer and someone's desire and enthusiasm and confidence in that that person which is the their idea of the future when who you are and what you want to be wanted for equals what they want from you um you come in with 
agency, curiosity, confidence, collaboration, all of the, all of the good words that you want in any project. But we also all know that when that equation is off, when who you want to be wanted for, like what it is you have to offer and what somebody wants from you is out of sync, you are miserable. And not only are you miserable, you're either bored, scared or stuck. And when I think about anybody and you were asking about the individual, like as you are exploring your career, and I don't, I don't think it's a path. I think it's this really interesting adventure. I think the only people I've met who are truly on a career path are those who are like, I want to be X when I grow up. And I'll tell you, I think I've met maybe half a dozen people who have complete not a clarity about who they want to be in the future. Most people are like, Oh, I don't know. Um, and are trying to figure it out. So I consider your career this really interesting adventure of balancing not only who you want to be and getting really clear about who that is, but what others need from you. Um, but when you are on that path, if people are opting into you, who you are and what you're all about, there's this sense of, and I'm going to say empowerment, because lots of people talk about empowerment as leaders. They're like, I empower my team. And I'm like, nonsense. Empowerment is a personal word, but there's an intense empowerment that happens um, because you are showing up just as you are. Um, and that's who, who, you, who you are chosen for, which again, you come back to when in those moments in your career, when you are knocking it out of the park and doing your best work, it's when you are showing up, and this is very buzzwordy, as your authentic self, when that combination of who you are and the skills you bring to the table and um, what it is you have to offer in alignment with, with what other people want. Um, and I see so often that trying to keep like actually trying to keep that equation aligned of who you want to be and what people want from you is actually the career adventure to try and optimize for um, because it's always pushing you to not necessarily be more, but to really consider both sides of the equation. Right. And to some extent, I also see this future state of who you all ha has in it a laid on intent or laid on element of ambition. And related yes. to that is your famous, the five questions to ask yourself about ambition. Yes. And, and I want to be really specific about ambition because some people go, ooh, and start to get a little cringy when I talk about ambition. Um, I think ambition needs a bit of a redefinition to begin with. Because a lot of people believe, because this is what we've been taught through social media, media in general, um, our parents, like the narrative about what does success look like is that ambition always needs to be this up and to the right path that you need to have a better title, have more impact, be bigger, all of these sorts of things. And um, I have worked with thousands of people. And here's the only thing that is true. Ambition is as unique as the individual and it is defined under their parameters. And if your ambition is not the, I want to be the CEO or entrepreneur or whatever the thing is, that's absolutely fine. And part of that is then coming back and saying, well, okay, what is my ambition? And I do have five questions that I ask everybody because if you understand, like, so if you think about the opt-in equation, like what it is I have to offer, what does somebody want from me? The first thing you need to understand in that equation is what is it you want to offer? 
And that is what is your, the answer to what is your ambition? And I ask five questions. So the first one is, um, what do I want for the future me? And that is, okay, so roll forward and your timeline could be whatever your timeline is. Um, two, three, five years. I usually don't recommend going out any further because gosh, if we haven't learned that <clears throat> life can throw us a, a, a curveball once in a while over the last couple of years, I don't know what we've learned. Um, but just, you know, just even think about like, what do I want for me in another, in about a year? So if I was going to teleport myself into the future, what does life look like? And I say life because your career is just an element of life. So um, what kind of work are you doing? Who are you collaborating with? Um, what is it that is helping you? What, what are you curious about? Um, what problems do you think you're solving? Um, what does your life work balance look like? All of those questions are important to really think about what they are. What are all of those questions? So that's the first one. And then I say, okay, so future me is important, but present me is also super important because future me is about curiosity, about potential. Present me um, also needs to be needed. And this is the thing when I talk about bored, scared, and stuck. Uh, bored are people who are um, present me is being chosen for who they are and what they're all about, but I'm not excited about what future me is going to do. Um, scared is present me is not confident about what I'm doing, but I'm excited about future me. And then stuck is a combination of both. And so I come back and say like the present you is equally important because if you are not confident in your offer, um, you can feel that about 20 paces, right? And so I sit here and I go, okay, so as you were thinking about why people might need you, like where your work um, is needed. What are those sorts of things? So um, who needs you? And this can be family, friends, and work. Um, what kind of work are you doing right now? Where do you like to see um, you having impact? All of those same sort of questions, but for today, because you need to be both a combination of confidence and curiosity and, and balancing those two are really important. Um, then I also then sit here and say, okay, now let's step out of the chronological timeline and tap into the question of what is, what is the thing that is bigger than you? Um, anybody doing a part of their life um, around, I'm going to say legacy, but I'm not talking about, you know, carve your name on a headstone type legacy. But this idea that we all are on a journey on this planet to to do something and that something is usually less about themselves and more about what is a broader impact. Um, and that could be your own family or it could be something really massive. Um, and I think the definitions of that um, can be really, really varied and you can do that in very different ways. Um, so those are the so present future me, present me, bigger than me. And then I come back and say, okay, um, all of that is important and all of that sounds lovely, but we've also got Maslow's hierarchy of needs to, to sit, to get sorted out here. So in my idea around ambitions, <clears throat> you know, what do I need to be compensated? Like, what do I need to get paid for this offer that I am making to make me not freak out about being able to pay my mortgage, pay rent, like whatever your financial situation is, because 
um, and I'm sure we have a listener on here. I remember vividly what it was like to be broke. And when you are broke, it is really, really hard to be confident and curious about the future you. And so like, where is that point? And it doesn't need to be, I'm going to make a million dollars unless you need a million dollars to exist, then fine. Um, like, what is the financial situation? What is the lifestyle situation? What is the location situation that you need to make you feel like, okay, I can step away from life and do this, like offer my time to other people. And I think that's really important. I, uh, I spent the weekend this past weekend with a, a group of people who on paper looked fantastically successful fantastically successful. They were all doing these amazing things. And a couple of them had exited companies and all of this sort of thing. And I was talking them through these questions. And I said, like, have you done the math? Because they're all going on what they call a career walkabout and trying to figure out like what it is they want to do next. And I said, have you done the math on your financial situation? And I'm not talking about your retirement math. I'm talking about your almost the P&L for you, because you are the CEO, CEO and founder of You Incorporated and the product that you are offering to the world is your future time. And ergo, you should have a P&L for that future time. And so how are you thinking about that? And um, it is a rare conversation for me when somebody comes back and goes, yes, I've absolutely do, done the math on that. And really thought about what that financial framework needs to look like for you and like how you're optimizing because we've all been told like this whole oh it needs to be more 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 which we all know that the more 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 is completely actually soul sucking and nobody wants to do it either day so really thinking about that and then last but not least only because I, again i come back to this is your journey and your adventure i also sit here and say like in all of that what are the things that future you want that are just for you absolutely think that you need to be a tiny bit selfish here and have a look inside and say, you know, if I had a fairy godmother who could show up and go, magic, we are going to, you get the dress, you get to the ball, you get the prince happily ever after that whole thing. Like whatever it is you want, what does that look like? Like what are the really aspirational things um, that are just for you? And it can be hugely tactical. So as an example, um, and I do this for myself all the time. Uh, gosh, this would have been what, 10 years ago when I was asking these questions of myself because I was considering three different job opportunities um, that were incredibly different and take me down very different career adventures. I was having a hard time balancing the choice between all of those. And so I went through this exercise and I actually do this math equation behind the scenes on it as well. And under the just for me at the time, one of my requirements was I needed to live in a place which was a close to a major international airport because I knew that the work I wanted to do would have me traveling globally. And so I was like, okay, I need to be near an airport. But two, I also needed to be, um, living somewhere close to a major sailing community because my husband is an adventure sailor and writer and his work has him sailing off out into the ocean and doing all sorts of crazy things. And so we needed somewhere to keep the boat. And so one of my just for me's was did geography work. And as I was going through the exercise, one of the other just for me's was, um, was I going to be able to have a job was the the people I was offering my time to 
going to be okay with me periodically sending a text, sending an email, calling them and saying, hey, um, Randall just had some major accident off of Cape Horn and I need to drop everything and fly to Argentina. Um, I'll be back in a week and not have them completely lose their mind over the whole situation, which I say that as an example was a real scenario. Like it was, uh, I think I was supposed to be at some meeting and I got the call and I had to fly down to Ushuaia with equipment and what have you, because, um, in the, in the life priorities, he was a little bit more important than my job, but my boss didn't care because we'd already had that conversation up front. And so thinking about all of those questions, future me, present me, bigger than me, confident me, and that's that Maslow's hierarchy of views. And then just for me really makes it clear around what it is you want to offer in a much more of a multi-dimensional, um, rich narrative than I want a promotion or I want to get paid more. Um, and in doing that, it then helps you explain to other people where it is you want to go and what it is you want to do. Because you think about like, I'm going to switch from the other perspective as a leader of an organization who has people reporting into you. You want to know the answers to these questions because your job, if you are managing people, your job is to help people create their future. Because when they're doing that, they are confident, they're curious, they're agentic, they're innovative, all of the words that you want. And if they're not, they could be bored, stuck or scared. And bored, stuck or scared, as any leader will tell you, is... And the beauty of this structure is it provides you a lot of clarity, both for you as an individual and if you're part of an organization to the leader saying, what do my people want so that you can tailor make your assignments, your re responses accordingly. And that's an interesting take and a segue into something else, diversity of thinking, right? And you, you have been a much acclaimed TED speaker. So you have spoken on multiple topics and you bring unique perspectives in those talks. How does one develop this diversity of thinking? Uh, well, it's, it's actually really simple. It is uh, diversity of thinking develops from diversity of experiences. Um, diversity of thinking happens when um, you try to hang out with people who don't look and sound like you. Uh, you know, I am, so your listeners have probably said, Oh, I wonder where she's from. She sounds a little bit funny. You know, I moved from uh, Southern England to Texas as a teenager, which was quite a long time ago. I can't, I don't know if your viewers can see me or not. Um, it's been a while. So I consider myself weirdly equally British as I am American. And as somebody who lived in England for most of my youth, I got to travel all over Europe. And as somebody who was pretty, um, I'll go do the crazy project in my career. I got to travel to China and Australia and Singapore and Germany and France and all over the world um, for the work that I did. And that in itself has meant that I really got a very, well, at the time, a slightly painful lesson at 15 that... Um, well, somebody might look and sound like me. Actually, the Texans didn't sound like me, but people who looked like me had completely different frameworks and constructs around almost almost everything. Um, the only thing that there wasn't diversity of thinking on was um, mean and not being physically abusive. Like the the really simple, like be a nice person, 
um, and don't hurt other people and don't be mean were universal. Absolutely everything else was different. And so I come back and I say, like, the opportunities here are to really challenge your thinking. It is absolutely like uh, my path to get to be a speaker at TED uh, was such a crazy path. Like I still kind of pinch myself and go, oh my God, how did that happen? Because lots of people come back to me and go, you got to be a TED speaker. How do you get invited to be a speaker at TED? And I was like, well, I just kind of kept putting my hand up when I saw an opportunity and it, um, I won't say it magically happened, but it, it did happen um, because I was confident and curious and all of these other sorts of things. But the reason I keep showing up at TED every year um, subsequently um, for not an insignificant amount of money, it's an expensive ticket to buy to get to kid, but I still come back and say the value of it is you spend a week with people who are thinking about spectacularly different things. And while the talks, the talks are always amazing. Um, the conversations you have in line with other people just really shift your perspective. Like one of the the first people I met, the very first time I I went to TED, I you know I I was standing at a cocktail party and I turned to the guy next to me and I was like, well, what do you do? Because I hadn't really thought about this whole idea first. And he uh, he turned to me and he said, well, I found a new dinosaur, which knocked me off my feet. I was like, you found a new dinosaur? Like who says that? And like, how does one even start thinking about finding a new dinosaur? And it it started this beautiful, amazing relationship. But you sit here and go, um, as a thinker, how? So I live in the world, or I had lived in the world at that point of emerging technology and new. I am such a tech optimist. Like I'm obsessed right now with artificial intelligence and Web three and Dolly and the blockchain and what are all of the technological possibilities with this, um, with these different technologies that are emerging, like quantum computing really just makes my head explode a tiny bit. And I love it all. Uh, and I'm constantly trying to learn about those sorts of things. But now I'm standing with somebody who looks billions of years into the past and is curious about this thing that roamed the planet before we were even a twinkle in our eyes. And I sit here and I go, uh, where, like, if you were going to Venn diagram my diversity of thinking with Ken's diversity of thinking, where are their overlaps? Because there were, where are their differences? And what can we learn from each other? And it's that curiosity, um, diversity of thinking that really makes interesting things happen and well have i don't ken and i have not collaborated yet but well now i've just thrown myself a challenge to figure out if there was a way we can collaborate because how he thinks and how i think are spectacularly different and yet together um that's how you create new and so i come back to the whole idea of diversity of thinking is well okay how do you actually figure out beyond the packaging beyond the gender, race, culture, um, skills, like, what is all of that? Like, how do you create some language, which is why, you know, when I think about this, we haven't, we don't actually have a, li- a language for any of this. And it's, it's time for us to build one. And I started because of this work to actually create a framework to talk about what that is. And as an example there, like, um, so let's put this back into the work context of diversity of thinking, like one of the number one questions that somebody interviewing for a leadership position 
um, is asked is tell me about yourself as a leader. Like, what is your leadership style and why are you a great leader? And universally, people will like when I say to you, well, well, why are you a great leader? And they go, well, I'm really great at developing people. And I'm like, hmm. That answer is about as boring as your title on the how do you answer the question, what do you do? And I said, yeah, but you're not uh, like, how do you develop people? Like, what is it your framework is and how do you approach that that is unique to you? And so now um, I, well, that that is a good starting question. I'll then come back and say, okay, so I see really three different types of development leaders. There's the coach which is the person who kind of locks arms with you and goes, okay, we are on this journey together. And I have some expertise because they're a coach. They should have some expertise about what the future is going to look like for your people. And you're going to almost be a teacher to them and help them optimize um, where they are strong and either balance where their weaknesses are or really help them think through that. So you're kind of a side-by-side manager. That's one type of leader. Um, and a coach leader is really great for somebody who needs a teacher. A coach leader is not great for somebody who's like, I know what I'm doing. I got what I got the path. Leave me alone. Let me do my thing because it feels like micromanaging. Then I come back and say, okay, so that's one type of leader. Then there's what I call a patron leader. Um, and patron leaders are the ones that come in and go, my eye is always on the radar for potential. Um, I'm always looking at, oh, this person's really great at this. They could be doing this other thing. And if I put them over here, um, this will be a better situation both for them and for the company. Patron leaders are fantastic if um, comfortable with ambiguity and uh, you are excited about change. Patron leaders can be a complete and utter nightmare if you're not confident with who you are and what you're all about, because they're constantly changing and putting you in the deep, like I'm a terrible patron leader. I'm always like, I'm just going to throw you in the deep end and see how you do. And part of how a patron leader evaluates whether you are worth reinvesting in is do you sink or do you swim? And so there's, well, patron leaders can sound like a lot of fun. They can also be super risky because if you sink, they're going to be like, okay, that person's not got it. I'm going to go look for somebody else. And then last but not least, there's what I call an investor leader. And an investor leader is the person who goes, you know what? I hired you because you are an expert in what it is you do and you are great at it. And I'm going to let you run with your thing. They're in essence investing in you, um, which is amazing if you know what your thing is and what it is you're doing. It's a complete not a disaster if the person isn't confident about what they're doing because investor leaders tend to be all like, look, I need you to run this because I've got this other stuff to do over here. Um, run up and go do my thing if you need me, call me. And so it can feel a little bit lonely if you're working for an investigator. So I come back to that opt-in equation and you sit here, like for the people who are listening, like I challenge you to do an exercise and say, like with your own boss, because we all have a boss at the end of the day, um, are they a coach? Are they a patron uh, or are they an investor? And do you like that part of them? And yes, is everybody a little like really good leadership is somebody who can be the person, be the person the person needs them to be, right? But I also come back and like we have a whole conversation about authenticity. Like I am a chronic patron leader. It is my default because this is who I am and it is authentic to me. 
Can I be a coach for somebody? Absolutely. Can I be an investor for somebody? Absolutely. But A, it's awareness on my part that this person needs a coach or an investor. And it's awareness on the other person's part that that's who I'm being for them because we don't talk about this language at all. We don't talk about these different types of leaders. And when other people like, so say, for instance, I'm an investor leader for one person, somebody else who has me as a coach leader might be like, well, she's all up in her that person's business. Why is she not in the other person's? Like, that's not fair. Like, we don't talk about that whole, we don't talk about the language of that. And, um, and we don't ask our teams what kind of leader they want. I, I can see that. I think this is a wonderful framework for people to kind of look into it and opt in if they would want to kind of uh, take it from here. So if we are ready, we will get started with the power of three round. Okay. The first of the power of three round, Joanna, is what are three unique practices that Joanna adapts? Um, I had to think about this this morning because I was like, gosh, I do a lot of things every day. But uh, I hike daily. Very lucky that I live very close to a lot of open space and get to be in the trees. And so I go outside and hang out with nature. It's a very private solo experience. Um, you've already helped me tick off one of my box. I intentionally find an opportunity to laugh daily. Um, if you can't laugh at life, sometimes it's the only thing that can get you through the other side. So I'm a, bi- I'm a big, big fan of a daily laughter practice, like actually looking for it. Um, and then last but not least is I like connect daily. Um, the biggest, well, I learned a lot of lessons emigrating to the United States as a teenager. And one of them, was that relationships are everything. And so I try to reach out to somebody in my network every day and just check in, say hello, make a connection, um, and be really thoughtful about that. Uh, because that is actually, it's that love of connection that makes the world go around. Right. So this next question should be much easier for <laughs> you on that note, which is if you don't have any limitation who are the three guests that you would like to invite them for dinner or lunch? Well, so I thought about this uh, question and uh, you told me no limitation. So I actually only want to invite two. Um, I want to invite my past self and my future self because my past self I want to invite to dinner because uh, I want to help her be less afraid. Um, although maybe the fear was actually what got me here. Uh, and for my future self, I want to hear what she has to say about what I am not seeing today. Um, those are the two people I would invite, which sounds very selfish now I say it out loud, but, uh, you know, we are all on this weird and fun adventure of life and not being afraid of who we were or who we could be, I think is, is really the most important thing. And if you can tick that person off, it'd be great. I, you know what? I'll actually take that back. My third person, I would absolutely love to bring my uh, grandfather to dinner. He's unfortunately passed away. He was my first patron boss when I was probably five. Um, he was uh, he was an engineer and helped me understand and love to learn math and be curious and think about things differently. And he missed out on all of the technology stuff that I got to work in now and I just want to share all of it with him so yeah my past self my future self and my grandpa 
nice. I think you have wonderful answers that connects to the next question that I have, which is the three best insights or advice that you have received from your teachers or mentors. Uh, so much, so much. Um, I'm in the the process of finishing up a book at the moment, as you know, and I had to write my acknowledgements of for all the people who helped me get to where I am and. Uh, my list is something like 200 and something people long, and there's some names that I can't remember, but I chose three. So um, one, uh, I met a woman named Mona Sabay, gosh, I think 10 years ago now. And we're in a, a, we were in a, a group who were asked the question, like, what is it we wanted to be known for? And at the time, I was at Pandora, a music company in technology. And I was, I thought I was killing it professionally. And she leaned over to me. I was about 43 at the time, leaned over to me and put her hand on my knee. And she goes, Joanna, they are not going to let you run revenue operations at Pandora when you're 50. So you need to figure out who that person is going to be. And I remember being so shocked and so taken aback and surprised by it. And she was 100% right. And that is ultimately what, what took me on the path. I'm now over 50 that took me on this path and really made me rethink who I wanted to be in the world. So I'm always grateful to her. Um, I also, uh, Cake Bread was my CFO at Pandora. He was my patron. Um, as the CFO there, he really helped me think through the intersection of mathematics and negotiation and really understanding that you know, ideas are your, is the product that you are offering to other people. And within that, really understanding what it is you're measuring, like what are the KPIs of your idea? And not in kind of the, the product sense, but like what is it you're measuring? What is it you're trying to accomplish? Because um, all, of that, all of that information is important. So really understanding mathematics and decision-making was his gift. And um, then last but not least, probably my first, well, he wasn't my boss, but kind of became my boss. But one of my first um, ambition guides for me um, was in my 20s, uh, a guy named Paul Lafontaine. I met through my work. I was at uh, it was a mid-90s, early web 1.0 company. Um, and he called me up. He'd met me through uh, doing the work that I was doing because I was, I mean, he was an executive and I was showing him like what it meant to be on the front lines of the company. Um, and he had clearly seen something me and he called me up and he said, Joanna, I have this opportunity in Chicago um, with this project that I can't tell you much about. Um, you'll need to leave what you're doing now. You'll still work for the company, but you'll need to leave and move to Chicago for probably three months. We're not entirely sure. And uh, we don't have a title for this job, um, but I think you'd be great at it. And I want you to help me figure out like what it's going to be for other people. Do you want to come? So no job description, no title, no compensation, no end. Like there was no information. And um, I said, yes, absolutely. When do you need me there? Um, and a career moment for me. Um, because not only did he teach me to optimize for ambiguity, but he reinforced that actually optimizing for ambiguity was going to be the, 
the path to manifesting my own ambitions. Like I love the unknown and the new. And he was one of the first people to really point out that this was something that was my ambition. And uh, so now, almost to my detriment, I optimize for ambiguity all the time because I think I think it's fun. That was fantastic, Jana. Thank you so much for sharing your insights on um, the power of three round. As we are coming close to this conversation, uh, gosh, I wish time can stand still and we continue to have these conversations. But as we come close to this conversation, uh, conversation is incomplete without talking about Cinderella. Yeah. So I I read somewhere that you have a Cinderella <laughs> in the making. So tell yes. us about what is all about Cinderella. Uh, well, so we have talked a lot today about how my sweet spot is explaining things that people don't understand and and can't see. And part of what I teach people is to create a like take a framework that exists and help them see how it is different. And as I think about the power of the story of potential, like why I am an ambition guide, why I actually call myself an inspiring fairy godmother is um, actually the best framework for that is the, is the Cinderella story for a couple of reasons. One, because, you know, you think about the journey that we all take as human beings with the Cinderella story, which is universally done. Like it might be called something a little different in different countries, but um, it's been around for way before Disney had it. Um, and it's a narrative that shifts in our life. Like when we're little, um, the, the Cinderella story is aspirational and it's almost like we go through puberty and we suddenly go, Oh my God, she's kind of this pathetic character. And as I have rethought about the Cinderella story, what I realized is I have been telling her story all wrong. And we have all been telling her story all wrong. And actually, it's time for us all to shift from she's kind of a pathetic character who needed to be rescued by a prince back to the aspirational story that we had of our youth, because we have been judging Cinderella based on the rules and the constructs that that we have. And there's a shift in narrative that we can have with her. And the example I have, I think we're up to like something like 40 different examples of how we told the Cinderella story wrong in the book. But one of the one of my favorites is actually that moment when Cinderella and the fairy godmother connect the first time, the first time she sees her. So, you know, if I sit here and say, like, who do you think Cinderella is as a person? You're like, oh, she's kind of pathetic. She got bossed around a lot until somebody came in and just like made magic happen and she lived happily ever after, right? That's the story we currently tell as adults. I then sit here and I say, like, where's the potential in Cinderella? So let's talk about that moment when Cinderella and the fairy godmother meet. You know, she's walking around outside doing her own, her own thing, kind of sad because she's not getting to go to the ball and a little, probably a little bit pissed off. And some crazy lady in like sparkles and shiny stuff pops out of the bushes and is like, hi, I'm here to sort you out. Well, but if I was walking around and some crazy lady popped out of the bushes, I'd be all like, crazy lady just popped out of the bushes. I'm heading in another direction. And I'd be all like, who are you? What are you all about? I'd be all like, hang on, I've got to assess the situation. Whereas Cinderella goes, oh, hi, who are you? And is super curious and confident um, in herself and in this engagement. And not only does she really welcome and lean into this new person who has popped into her life to kind of shake things up a bit, but she's also incredibly brave in what she does. Like, let's talk about the whole pumpkin to coach moment. Like, I'm sorry, 
But if somebody magicked, because it's the first thing that magic happened, somebody magicked a pumpkin into a new coach and then said, like, you're going to get inside this coach and go to the bowl, you're all sorted out. I'd be like, well, how long does the coach, like, is it going to stay a pumpkin forever? Like, what if it pumpkin, what if it shrinks back to a pumpkin? Like, I'm, I would not get inside the coach immediately. I'd be asking a bunch of questions and be like, like, is this a safe situation? Unlike Cinderella, who's all like, awesome, pumpkin coach. I Like, clearly this woman can do magic. I'm going to believe in everything else and I'm going to get in the coach and go to the ball. And so we've gone from she's kind of a pathetic character who leans on magic to make all of her dreams come true to she's this incredibly generous, curious, uh, brave individual who will step into situations that the rest of us will be like, uh, maybe no. In any, any one, one scenario. And I have dozens of examples like that, all the way down to, like, we think the prince is a bit of a pathetic character as well. And uh, spoiler alert, not so much. And my question to people as I use the Cinderella story that we all know as a framework is that if we've been hearing Cinderella's story wrong all this time, is it possible you've been hearing other people's story wrong, even your own? And if that's true, then what story do you want to tell about yourself and your future? Brilliant. I think that's a perspective that none of us had on how to see, interpret a Cinderella story. Thank you so much for sharing that, Joanna. And You're as more we, than welcome. As we are drawing a close on this episode, uh, this show is all about creating ripples of inspiration. So before we sign off, what is Joanna's Inspire Someone Today message for all of our listeners? Coming back to the, how do you answer the question, what do you do? Um, one of my one of my answers is I get to tell people why they're awesome for a living every single day, which is literally the best job ever. Um, but here is the thing that I want to say to everybody. I have had the honor to work with thousands of people in talking about who their future self should be, whether it's um, for themselves, for their teammates, for their team, almost every single different scenario. And absolutely, every single person has a unique and valuable way of thinking. The gap that needs to be closed is your ability to share that with others so that they can choose it. And so as you are heading out in the big wide world today, I want you to remember that you have a unique framework um, and that the challenge for you is to figure out what it is so you can offer it. And if you're like, well, I have no idea what that is and how to offer it, then here's my challenge to everybody is go find somebody who is already opting into the future you, somebody who chooses you just for who you are and ask them, say to them, what is it? that you choose about me? What is it you are opting into? And if you're feeling super brave, then ask the follow-up question of how are you ambitious for me? And those two simple questions will create a future for you that for most people didn't know that even they existed. And so go out and find out what that is. Whom are you opting in? And who is believing in your ambition? Or who has the ambition for you? Joanna, thank you so much for sharing everything that you had on this show tonight. Appreciate uh, your gesture and look, looking forward to having further conversations with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening into today's edition of Inspire Someone Today. 
It's been a privilege to bring in these conversations. If you like this episode and have any feedback or comments, do mail me at inspiresomeonetodaypodcast at the rate gmail.com. Inspiring someone is like creating ripples around us. If you like or to listen, feel free to share them and let's create ripples of inspiration. Do not forget to follow me on my Instagram handle at the rate inspiresomeonetodaypodcast for all the latest updates. This is Srikanth, your host, signing off. And until next time, keep inspiring. Keep inspiring.